Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them on the World Wide Web at mslandbank.com. You shouldn't stop there, though, because if you've got land financing or refinancing needs, well, that's what Mississippi Land Bank does. That's what they've been doing for over 100 years. You can find a branch location near you, or you can find the phone number on that website, mslandbank.com, and give them a call. Whatever your land financing needs are, whether it's buying land, refinancing an existing property, buying equipment to take care of the property that you've got, well, Mississippi Land Bank can help because they know the lay of the land. Glad to have you along this afternoon. Brian Scott Rippey is on the road. He will be in Pearl tonight for Ole Miss and Southern Miss midweek game at the uh, Trustmark Park, the AA home of the Mississippi Braves. We'll check in with uh, Brian Scott Rippey uh, a little bit later this afternoon. In the meantime, Hot Take Haydad joins us, and we've also got Backtracking Borky. What's up, guys? Why am I? Why am I hot take? Hey, Dad. Hot take? Hey, Dad. And you guys want to tell me that soccer's boring? This uh, game is so boring. Hey, I never said the game was boring. I said other people were saying it was boring. Oh, right, right. Yeah, uh, spin it, spin it, brother. It. Spin it, it on a Tuesday. I'm, I'm just saying. And then there's Michael Borky. We'll go with backtracking Borky because. He went back and deleted the tweet that he put out oh. discussing how boring the game was. Oh, no. Just deleted the tweet altogether. What's up, guys? Borky, care to defend yourself? Oh, no. I just, I'm used to this from you. Mm hmm. I was I was following along with you guys on Twitter. I was just kind of watching the game. And... No, but people like you, that, that's what's so funny about people. this entire thing. People like you that pretend that you're smarter than people like me for enjoying bad basketball. The first eight minutes of that game was not a defensive showdown. It was abysmal, horrendous, pathetic basketball for the first eight minutes. Yes, the game got better, but this idea that I'm stupid or I don't know the game because I would have rather two teams that score play in that game is exhausting to follow. I'm sorry, what was the final score? No, it ended up being a very good basketball game. It was 85 to 77. Yeah, thanks to an overtime period, but no, it ended up being great, but the abysmal start deserved every ounce of criticism. It was awful to watch, and then they settled in and ended up playing a really, really good, entertaining basketball game because they started scoring. First of all, 
I never said I was smarter than you. No, I, that was Second. a general thing. Second, I'm just having a little bit of fun with what turned out to be a really fun national championship game that so many people, eight minutes in, six minutes in, at the first media timeout, were done with because what was it, it was three to two at the first media timeout. Is that right? Oh my gosh! It was three to two, and then with, and I have PTSD from that score, so I can't I can't deal with it. And with twelve minutes left, it was nine to three. Oof. Got better. Oh, it got better. It, it, got, it, it got really, be- really good. It got good. better. It, in fact, it, it the, the first half really turned out to be pretty entertaining. You 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 thought. Based on what Vegas gave us is a one and a half point spread, and if you look at the spreads in the NCAA tournament, they've been really close on a lot of games. So you thought it was going to be a close game. It was a three point game at the half. It was dead even at the end of forty minutes. Really good defensive play, by the way, at the end of regulation to get a hand on that well, shot. What was that inbound set though? No screen, no action, nothing. Just of course they handed the ball to their best player, so it's somewhat justified, but. That's what you drew up with one second left and a chance to get a shot up to win the game? I guess so. Let me ask you this. Did you guys have any trouble staying awake? Not because of the game, but just because it was late at night? Yeah. No, no. I'm I'm a night owl. I usually am not in bed before midnight anyway. That start time, and I guess we'll talk about this later maybe, but the rating for the game was the seventh lowest in... National Championship College Basketball history, but for perspective, it wasn't all that low, but it started at 9.30 Eastern time. Yeah. So what did you expect? Yeah, well, and and I did this to myself. So Jane had a bunch of work to get done last night. So she was sitting at the dining room table with her computer, and it was pretty quiet in the house, and the kids were asleep. I had gone to, uh, to a dinner that I had to go to and got back home, and so I talked to her for a while and sat there and helped her with a couple of things. And then I just kind of plopped down on the couch. And there was a blanket sitting on the back of the couch. So I just, you know, instinctively grabbed it and kind of pulled it over me. I, I don't know if I'm old. Maybe, maybe it's just that I'm old at this point. But when I sit on the couch, I don't care what's on television. I'm going to nod off. And I did. And I was kind of in and out and in and out and then woke up, you know, saw all the overtime and uh, really a fascinating, uh, 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 such a good story. And I think that's kind of what I've become a sucker for more than anything else in sports. Um, a- a- am I crazy for that, 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 that what I dig more than anything are big events and great stories? No, you're not crazy at all because it what it's what makes the big event feel better. If Virginia didn't get beat by a 16 seed last year, the game still would have been great. Still would have had fun watching it. It wouldn't have been as meaningful that they won that game, considering what happened last year. Yeah, when your team is not in the game, you know, unless you are a Virginia or a Texas Tech fan last night, the story is what you have to cheer for. You know, because unless you have money on the game, which is possible as well. Sure. But yeah, it's, stories are what you cheer for when your team isn't playing. Alabama Clemson in the national championship game. As soon as it became painfully obvious how much better Clemson was, the story is what you're cheering for. There, you're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be great tomorrow. Everybody's, is Alabama's dynasty dead? Is there a new dynasty? Is Trevor Lawrence? 
that's what you start cheering for when your team's not playing in the game. Yeah, and and maybe maybe this makes me different, and maybe this is why I'm uh, I, I love my job so much because sure, just be honest, right? I mean, what, do I want Ole Miss to win? Absolutely. Does Haydad want Mississippi State to win? Of course. But there's so many people out there that when their team is eliminated, especially if it's in disappointing fashion, they say, I'm done, I'm not watching any. So there are a lot of Ole Miss fans that never turn the, the, the tournament on again after Ole Miss was eliminated in the opening round. Mississippi State fans, women, Mississippi State women's basketball fans, they lose in the Sweet 16, don't go to the Final Four, done with it. Well, the national championship game on the women's side, we didn't talk about it at all yesterday, was wildly entertaining, especially in the fourth quarter of that game. Both teams just made shot after shot after shot after shot, and it was a lot of fun. I, I, I guess I just don't bail out at that point. Uh, the, a ton of Ole Miss baseball fans hate that a year ago. Ole Miss loses in the regional to Tennessee Tech. Nope, can't watch any more of it. Just makes me sick. Well, I, I agree. That's a really hard, disappointing way to lose and have your season come to an end. But I love college baseball. In addition to wanting to see Ole Miss do well, I love college baseball. So I was locked in for Super Regionals. Couldn't wait for Omaha. And to take Texas Tech and Virginia and put them together in the national championship game. No, it's not North Carolina against Michigan State. No, it's not Duke against Villanova or whomever that is going to deliver this massive rating. And then I, I think the other part for me was, you know, I, I did a Virginia game early in the year, and so it's like there's familiarity there, and you're, you're kind of interested in them. The, the, the thing to me about Virginia, you don't always want the team that's easily likable to win it all. Sometimes it's good for the, the bad boys to win. You know, the, the old Detroit Pistons, everybody loved to hate them, and them winning was good for, for NBA basketball. But you sometimes it's good for the good guy to win. Yeah. You need a heel that the, the, the good guy can chase is what you need. There needs to be something, somebody out there. Alabama is that in college football. Everybody is, is, is pursuing them, and they've been on top for so long, and now – Clemson finally knocked them off, and we'll see if Clemson can. And, and, and it's sort of you know I hate to steal from from uh, from Harvey Dent from the Dark Knight here, but you know you you either die a hero or live long enough to, to see yourself become the villain. You know, in in six seven years, nice. if Clemson has won three more national titles, they're the villain at that point, and you're looking to find the next the next guy. That's the cycle of sports. That's a good point. Is there a team that outlived that cycle, that won really big but never became the villain? Did, did Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls avoid ever becoming the villain? Maybe. Just depends on who you ask, though, not the Detroit and New York fans. Yeah, but but I mean, I guess, like, overall. It's like everybody can get unified behind that, that not wanting to one. see Alabama that continue might. to win. Tiger Woods they, as well. I know it's Tiger different. Tiger Woods but. is a good example. Yeah. Just getting started with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. You can text the show, 601-879-4395. C Spire text line, C Spire, customer inspired. You want to loan? Do you want to own the latest and greatest smartphone? For a limited time, buy a top smartphone from Seaspire and get one free. Get the best smartphone experience on the best network now with twice the nationwide LTE. Seaspire 
customer-inspired. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Question, how can we watch the Ole Miss-USM baseball game? Uh, you can drive south on I-55 or uh, north if you're coming from Hattiesburg, and you can take the Pearl exit and drive down to the ballpark and buy a ticket and sit in the stands. So I'm not being a smart aleck when I say that. That's literally the only way you can watch that game, unless you have a friend who is at the game who is willing to FaceTime you for three hours or Skype with you. They've got video Skype, and you can watch it that way. We know a guy. Are you going to do that? Are you going to like uh, stream it and put it on a Reddit channel or something? <laughs> uh, no, sadly, I cannot make the game tonight. I thought you were going tonight. I know. I was really looking forward to doing so as well, but um, something has, has come up and I can't do it. All right. There you go. Uh, Rippy, Rippy will be there. Will be there. Hey, we can get yeah, him to we'll set up his phone and put it on Periscope or something. Hey, how about this? Josh from Laurel, we were talking about sports needing villains and heroes, and ultimately if you're the hero and you maintain hero status for long enough, you become the villain. Give me that quote again. That was really good. Hey, Dad. Either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Ooh, never that's seen a the Batman deal. No, yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a, You know, I'm not a movie guy. I mean, like if you want to go back to the original Batman with Michael Keaton, like like the original, like not the old TV show, but like the first version. Yeah, I mean, I've watched a few of the Batman movies, but no, not Dark Knight. Uh don't judge me. Don't at me. No judgment. Uh, Josh says Golden State is not a villain. Which is really interesting that he says that, because when we were talking, we just ran out of time, and that was, that's a team that I was going to use as an example. Golden State, in my view, has gone from being, oh, that's a fun team to watch, to everybody's tired of watching Golden State win. And it feels like they're a bit of the villain. I think villain status for Golden State really started when Kevin Durant went. To that That's team. what I was just about to say. Yeah, that they they were a fun team who played an exciting brand of basketball, and then they got Kevin Durant, and it was just oh now they're just this super team, and Durant's a coward who can't win by himself, and blah blah blah, and uh, so yeah, I, I would agree with that. And what's fun about them is they have a real nemesis. There's a guy out there who hates them, and that's Russell Westbrook, who's not good enough by himself to beat them, but he makes it interesting at least. Yeah. Do you realize what Oklahoma City could have been? Oh yeah, if they had kept, they found a way to keep Harden. They had Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden on the same team. Yeah, there would be thirty for thirties about the back and forth that they and Golden State would have had in the playoffs if they'd have stayed. Yeah, it had been every year in in the Western Conference Championship those two for. Almost a decade. Mm. That would have been some NBA basketball that I could have gotten behind. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You may have some this year, even though we're going to have a similar thing with the NBA playoffs this year that we had uh, with the college basketball championship. So I'm I'm a bit of an NBA purist. I'm going to watch every series, every game that I possibly can. I'm going to be locked in. But if I, I, I could not tell you that there will not be an element missing because there's no LeBron James. Him not being in the playoffs is going to hurt a little bit. Will it still be great? Yeah. Him not being there, though, as funny as it is, it's hey, um, hey, hey, hey. it's not good for the league to not have its best player in the playoffs. It's not funny. 
Stan and Ripley, I'm just wondering about that dude that had the $1,500 bet on Texas Tech from back in November to win it all. Is he okay? He had a chance to win $300,000 last night. Do you think he jumped off a bridge? No, I don't think he jumped off a bridge. Um, he chose not rem- to hedge. Did he not hedge at all? He chose not to hedge. He chose was offered, uh, what was it, Antonio Brown and all of his craziness this week offered him, what, 150 k for that ticket, and he turned it down? I was thinking that I read somewhere that somebody had offered him 125000 I didn't realize it was Antonio Brown. He turned it down, but that he did have a hedging strategy in place. And if you don't know what we're talking about, the idea of hedging a bet is when, when you've got a long-term play that is all or nothing, like like the, the tail end of a parlay or a ticket that you've been holding on for a long time, and there's an opportunity for you to win money regardless, just not to win as much money as if you hold on to your original play all by itself, you hedge your bets. You, you, you've heard that phrase. I just think probably there's some who maybe haven't thought about that. So this guy apparently did not. And so instead of being 125000 to the good on a $1,500 bet, he decided to ride it all the way to the end. Maybe he didn't need the money. Maybe if you got $1,500 to place on a futures bet on Texas Tech in November, you don't really need the money anyway, maybe. You're not sweating it. You would hope so. But, yeah, I would imagine that he would like to have had that hundred and a quarter in his pocket today regardless. Uh, Tracy in Luxahoma says that Joe Montana – was never a villain. I had a lot of respect for Joe Montana, but I hated him. Because back that's back in the old days when the Saints were in the NFC West with the 49ers. And there were some pretty good Saints teams with the Dome Patrol and those guys that could never get over the hump because the 49ers would beat them every year. Yeah, but so, nationally, though, that, that's more na- of the, the thing here. Yeah. Maybe so. And maybe that's a... a uh, a reflection of, of you know social media, and you get to know these guys so much better. What did you know about Joe Montana? You know, you just saw him August through you know January every year, once a week. Well, explain this to me. Didn't really know his thoughts on anything. Why is Tom Brady a villain? And don't talk to me about underinflated footballs. He was a villain before that happened, and that didn't have an impact on the game. Why does quote everybody hate Tom Brady? It's 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 because of that though. It's, that, that's the reason. But they hated him before the the slightly underinflated uh, football. He was hated I before. I think it's because he's a little too perfect, right? I mean, that's so part of it too. You you look at Tom Brady, and so if you want to go far enough back, he's not perfect. He was pretty average coming out of Michigan and was a, a, a sixth round draft pick. But people look, they forget about that. They look at it and go, okay, all he does is win. It doesn't really matter who's around him. You got this combination of Brady and Belichick, and people don't like Belichick. Oh, by the way, he's got a supermodel wife. Oh, by the way, they have a combined net worth of like half a billion dollars. Uh, he doesn't really ever say anything. He's got this he's weird, weird diet. Yeah, he's, he's a, a weird, weird guy. He's eccentric. Don't you have to be weird to be in that kind of shape and be that good at what you do at that age? Breeze isn't weird. And I mean, Breeze doesn't have the Super Bowl wins. I know that. But he doesn't Breeze tip, is- though. Well, <laughs> well, neither does South weird. Carolina football, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, it's just he's not a weird guy. But Brady is is, is an oddball at times, you know. So, but I, being I, a little weird shouldn't make people hate him. 
Well, it's a combination of a bunch of things, though. It's just jealousy. I, get, I don't know. Here's the thing. Oh, I'm sort of yes. Hard. Scott and Clinton says it's because they want to be Tom Brady. There's that, too. There's definitely some jealousy. I admire Tom Brady. I, 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 I'm a Brady guy. I'm a Brady fan. I, li- I wouldn't say I'm a Brady guy. I'm a Brady fan. I have no pro- no problem with it. I promise you, nobody was cheering harder for him when they were playing the Falcons. I promise you that. I was <laughs> I was locked in to Tom Brady. Like, come on, Tom Brady. Mm. Had the fake Boston accent and everything. Um, what is your biggest takeaway from the national championship game last night? It was really fun, and I looked stupid. Because I was considering not watching. Um, <laughs> and I had a lot of fun. I stayed up later than I usually do watching that dumb game. I did not make what it. What was it Rippy said yesterday? Wait, you're not going to watch the national championship game? And I, but I did say I was going to watch. But if my wife asked me to do something, I would have been willing to do mm-hmm. so. And she did. And I and I did. Especially when it was 9-3 to three with 8 minutes passed in the game. But I didn't make it to one shining moment. I, I miss that, which I don't really care about to begin with. But the the main takeaway, isn't it the replay? Isn't that what every that the big thing that everybody's talking about today is whether or not that replay should have happened? The call was correct; nobody can deny that. But that was what everybody was talking about this morning: is that replay, and should we use super slow motion, whatever you want to call it? to determine that kind of thing in that kind of game. Because that sealed the game for Virginia last night. It did seal it. And you don't know what the outcome would have been otherwise. When you've got replay in place, uh, okay, what I don't like is in big critical moments, all of a sudden we got to take two minutes to stop the game and go review it. So, so, So I hate losing the flow, but I don't mind getting calls right in the biggest moments. I mean, how many times have we talked about calls not being right this year in college basketball or missed calls or how terrible the officials were? Every day. Well, the officials were pretty good last night. And they got a really important call at the end of the game because of replay right. David Brandt with the Associated Press is in Augusta. He's covering the Masters. We'll talk to him next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Glad to have you along on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borty, Brian Haydad. We'll check in with Brian Scott Rippey a little bit later on. Right now we go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Normally when we introduce David Brandt, we say covers sports in the state of Mississippi. This weekend he's gone a uh, this week he's gone a couple of states to the east. Covering the Masters, David Hey, Dad pointed out yesterday, pretty good year for you. You cover the Olympics and the Masters in the same, uh, what, 365-day span? That's not bad. Yeah, pretty much. No, it's been incredible. It's incredible. I'm actually uh, in the press center right now looking out over Augusta National. It's, uh, it's, it's a, uh, a golfing version of Disneyland here, pretty much. It's, it's pretty incredible. It's everything they say. Hey, have you been before, or is this your first time? No, this is my first time. I went out when I got here and walked the course a little bit and just got a feel. It's a nice day out here. So, uh, you know, watch Tiger a little bit on the, uh, you know, drive it a little bit. And he still looks like he can, he can handle himself out there. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he does this week. All right. I, I'm curious because you're not the only AP writer that's there. You're part of the, the AP golf team that's covering the Masters. So 
How do you guys decide who covers what and kind of what the strategy is for covering this tournament? Well, there's essentially four riders. We've got, you, you've probably seen the byline Doug Ferguson before. He's covered sure. golf for, you know, 25 years for the AP. He does a great job. And so he's kind of our point guy. You know, he's, he's the guy who, who decides things. And we've got a couple columnists here, Tim Dahlberg and, and Paul Newberry, and they'll hit some of those angles. And then, I, you know, I get the, uh, the feature stories, the extra things, kind of somebody maybe who was unexpected in contention or, or whatever the good story of the day is. It could be anything. So, you know, Doug's kind of the one that, that sort of orchestrates everything. But we have a little bit of latitude. You know, if we've got good ideas, we can go out and, and write the things we want. How did you how did you end up on this for this week? Oh, I just begged. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I mean, they rotated around some of the, the writers in the South, you know, some of the better feature writers. At least I like to think I'm a decent feature writer. Um, you know, and, and just somebody they think might fit that year. So there's been... You know, like I said, it kind of rotates around, and, and this year it was me, so I was I was excited to go. So, so this is an assignment that you've wanted for a long time, and have kind of let it be known that you were interested in, and, and now it was your turn. Oh, sure. I mean, like I, you know, I think they know I'm I'm interested in covering everything. You know what I mean? If they if they want me at the Olympics, the Masters, all that stuff. So, sure, it's it's considered absolutely an honor to be at something like this, and and I let it known. I'm if you want to send me, I'm ready. Well, that's uh, that's really cool. So, on the golf front, what what do you think? Maybe a couple of the biggest storylines are this week. Well, you know, I mean, obviously, there's a bunch of different ones. We talked about Tiger just a little bit, and obviously, he draws a crowd, and, and just you know, if he could get in contention, what that would mean. And then, obviously, the defending champions, Patrick Reed, he hasn't been playing particularly well lately, but you know, obviously, the the defending champ gets a lot of uh, kind of pub and you know Ricky Fowler's a guy that you know I, he's probably one of the top players who hasn't won a major and, and he's a big story um, you know Dustin Johnson Brooks Kepka you know he's, he's done so well in majors I mean there's there's it, one thing that's amazing you know I've covered the Jackson Golf Tournament a lot I've covered the FedEx in Memphis and, and those are great tournaments but you know a lot of times they don't necessarily attract the top 10 or 15 players in the world, you know, like, I mean, obviously the who's who is here at Augusta. So I'm looking forward to, to covering a tournament where, you know, it doesn't matter what group you're watching. There's a story in, in that group. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned Memphis and Jackson because both of those tournaments this year kind of get a step up in stature with, with Jackson getting, you know, FedEx Cup points and you, you feel like maybe that's going to uh, kind of enhance the field at the Sanderson Farms Championship. And then Memphis this year goes from being the, the FedEx St. Jude Classic to now a World Golf Championship event and at a time when you are likely to get all of the top players. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. Both of those tournaments have taken a huge step up. And, and also I'm not um, – I don't know exactly the particulars, but I think there's a new rule on the PGA Tour where you have to play every stop like once every five years or something like that where they rotate it around. So certainly that's going to help pull in some of the bigger names. And it's great for Jackson to get a standalone date. And they, they do a great job out at the Country Club of Jackson. Yeah, they really the guys do. Who go, yeah, they, they, I mean, the, the, the golfers you know, just gush about how well the tournaments run. I think that's going to be a hit. And it's, it's a fun course in Jackson because, you know, you can score low if you, if you play well, but it can be difficult. It's a little bit tight. Sometimes you get that wind blowing and it can be tough. So, 
Um, big step up for Jackson. And then, you, obviously, you talked about Memphis moving up in its stature, too. So, I, I, you know, if you're a golf fan in, in Mississippi, it's a, it's a great thing to have a couple tournaments close by that are going to have good fields. Rory McIlroy, um, he's kind of a favorite of everybody on tour. I feel like golf writers and media people like him because they feel like he's honest and, and he doesn't just speak in sound bites. Fans like him because of the way that he plays. They, they've seen him, kind of the human side of him, with the disaster at Augusta a few years ago. He's coming off the players. Uh, he talked today about uh, feeling like his game was good enough to win at Augusta. What should we expect this week from Rory? And And is it are we far enough along into the week that it feels like there's a buzz about any particular players? There is a buzz about it, and I neglected to mention him earlier, but I, I saw Rory up on the podium earlier, and certainly, you know, trying to get the career grand slam, um, you know, I, I, there's there's always a buzz around him. And you're right that he does, you know, I, I think as writers, as journalists, and even as just fans, you're attracted to the people that, that seem more human, you know, that, 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 you know, have some of the characteristics that you might have, the vulnerabilities, different things like that. And certainly, Rory's a world-class golfer, but I think it's also one reason sometimes why why Phil Mickelson is so popular, just because, you know, he's had, obviously, he's won majors, but he's also, you know, had crash and burns, you know, that, that just about anybody can relate to on a golf course. So there, there's definitely a buzz around Rory, and, and certainly I, I think that, you know, majors are where he seems to play really well. I mean, how could we not relate to Rory? I mean, who of us doesn't have a $30 million a year sponsorship contract with Nike? Well, you know what I You've, you've got to suspend reality a little bit now. Come on. <laughs> but you, you know what I mean. I absolutely know what you mean. And, and he's one of those guys that, that feels like he's kind of approachable when uh, when you look at it. What, what about what's the buzz as far as a dark horse? I mean, everybody likes to, to look at it and. Augusta might be a little less susceptible to the dark horse winner because if you look at it over time, there's certain names that you just see on the leaderboard almost every single year. Now, whether or not they make it to Sunday is is a different story, but yeah, you look up after Thursday and Friday, and there's some names that you just kind of expect to see somewhere around the top ten of the golf tournament after a couple of rounds. Yeah, and it's just you know the Masters is such a unique event, and that obviously it's at the same course every year, and certainly they. They change the holes a little bit, you know. So some things can happen as, as far as the course goes. But but generally speaking, if you play well here, if you've got a good feeling here, um, then you know that usually translates year to year. If you're if you're feeling the course, I mean, it's just like anything. If you feel comfortable somewhere, you play well. So I don't know, you know, dark horses. There's always there's been a couple guys jump up and win that nobody expected. You know, somebody that obviously won a couple years ago, but no one's really expecting him. You know, somebody like Sergio. Um, you know, playing well, and it sounds silly to say the defending champion, but nobody's really talking about Patrick Reed much, and, and certainly he had success here last year. So, um, you know, there's I, I'm missing a million different guys, but, but there's all kinds of – that's what I said. It, it's so fun about the Masters is there's a story in, in pretty much every grouping. David, do you play golf? I don't play, not much. I mean, I played a little when I was younger, so it's, it's always been interesting for me. You know, just you watch these guys. They are so, so good. And oh, yeah. it's, yeah, I mean, I've played just enough to know that I'm really bad. If you understand well, the, what I'm saying. The, the reason I'm, I was asking. Today, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. Today I'm standing 100 feet from Tiger Woods watching him on the range just hit drives. And, you, you know, when I would get on a driving range, it was all I could do 
just to hit the ball decently. You know what I mean? Just to hit the mm-hmm. ball in the direction, general direction I wanted to hit it. Tiger, you could see him out there hitting shots with purpose. You know, he was trying, you know, this is a hook, this is a fade. You know, he was trying to do different things. And pretty much every single time he was doing exactly what he wanted to do. And I realized I could say that about pretty much any player on the range, but you just realize how awesome these guys are. And it's, it's a pleasure to watch. Well, the, where, I, where I was going with that was I was curious if you were in the lottery for the, the media to, to play it. Oh, because I, do I you know not, how much people I, would hate you if, oh, if you know, got that I, on your first time? I would not disgrace this course like that. I, I would let somebody play the course that uh, actually might have a chance of, you know, shooting under 200. <laughs> well, at least you're honest with yourself. I mean, if you can't be honest with yourself, who can you be honest with? Yeah, well, exactly. I'll let, I'll let somebody, like I said, nobody, nobody wants to see that. Nobody needs to see that. There you go. Hey, enjoy the week, David. Appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. Yeah, absolutely, Richard. Uh, hopefully I'll have some good stories when I come back. Yeah, can't can't wait to hear those. David Brandt from the Associated Press. First time covering the Masters, first time on the property at Augusta. And what an experience it is. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Tuesday afternoon. Streaming online, supertalk.fm. It's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. C Spire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. If your phone is a little rough around the edges, well, there's a single place you can trust for all your phone repairs, and that's C Spire. C Spire stores from Brandon to Tupelo are now certified phone repair locations. They can fix any problem on any device from any carrier, in most cases, while you wait. Stop by today, C Spire, customer inspired. I am uh, I'm fascinated by the whole champion's dinner menu. And I'm not t- trying to turn this into like a weird radio topic. But I was curious, Borky, if we went back and we found what some other people had served through the years, what those menus were like. Some are much better than others. You learn a lot about people when you look at what menu they would choose when they have unlimited options. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and hey, Dad, the other thing you you learn, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, you got a lot of grown men that are professional golfers that have the palate of a seven year old. That's that's not really surprising. I'm going to be totally honest with you. All right, so here's a list of menus going back to the mid '80s, and it, it's kind of hit around, and not all of them. Uh, Bernhard Langer, who won it in '86, served Wiener Schnitzel. Breaded veal. Uh, Fred Couples in 1993 goes the chicken cacciatore route. Uh, Bernard Langer, another opportunity in 1994. Turkey and dressing with a black forest tort. Mm. Interesting choice. We've got we've got two servings of paella. Jose Maria Olathabal. Uh, it's a, a Spanish rice dish. It was a combination of paella and hake, which is a white fish. And then he did some tapas-style stuff. But also, if you go to Phil Mickelson 2011, and my guess is that that was... Would that have been a tip of the cap to Seve with the, the menu selection in 2011, Borky? Feels that way. He went with a Spanish-themed menu, a seafood paella, um, 
filet mignon as well, salad, asparagus, tortillas as the sides, plus uh, an ice cream topped apple empanada for uh, for dessert. It's pretty good. Somebody said, what about Tiger? So, first Masters Championship in 1997, sets the menu in 98. Here's what Tiger went. A 22-year-old Tiger Woods said, boys, we're having cheeseburgers, chicken sandwiches, french fries, and milkshakes. So Trump I bet, catered. I bet that I bet that dinner didn't last as long as some of these did. <laughs> um, VJ I'm very hungry Warren. now, by the way. I'm, try, I'm sitting here trying to lose weight, and this is what we're going to talk about. I'm starving Sorry. now. We'll move on in a moment. In we're, 2001, BJ went with uh, seafood tomka, which is like a, a, a soup, and then uh, chicken panang curry, baked sea scallops with garlic sauce, rack of lamb, baked filet of chile and sea bass, and uh, a sorbet at the end. That's a lot of entrees. Uh, in back-to-back years, 02 and 03, Tiger went with the porterhouse and chicken and then a sushi appetizer. My man, that that is a quality dinner right there. Sounds great, yeah. Well, he had some making up to do for the cheeseburger chicken sandwich menu. Yeah. Uh, if the chicken sandwiches are Chick-fil-A, though, it's okay. Yeah. 05 Mickelson lobster ravioli. 07 Mickelson barbecued ribs, chicken, sausage, and pulled pork with coleslaw. Yes. A uh, couple of, uh, here we go, a couple of international guys. Uh, Trevor Immelman in 09 with, went with a spiced mincemeat pie with an egg topping called boba tea, I no. think. No. Not your thing. Uh, that doesn't sound up my alley, no. Angel Cabrera in 2010 went with an Argentine, uh, Argentine asado, a multi-course barbecue featuring yes. chorizo, blood sausage, short ribs, beef fillets, and mojillas, which is the thymus gland, also known as sweet bread. Sure. It's like a high-end uh, Texas de Brazil thing happening there. <laughs> quite, quite high-end in the Masters uh, yeah. dining room. Uh, let's see. Bubba Watson. A Caesar salad, grilled chicken breast with green beans, mashed potatoes, corn, macaroni and cheese, cornbread, and confetti cake with vanilla ice cream. What? Very fitting for a clown. Clowns need confetti. <laughs> Spieth went with barbecue after he won it. I mean, that's, uh, that's like what my daughter would ask for. She would be like, can we get confetti cake with vanilla ice cream? Sure. Yeah, I went 13, to the, by the way. Uh, I went and picked up donuts before school this morning and, you know, got a couple <laughs> of sprinkled donuts for my kids. <sighs> oh, man. All right, we'll move on. I just I was fascinated by some of that. Did you ever watch the show Iron Chef, like the old one, like the old yeah. one with the Japanese chefs? Absolutely. A, I'm, I'm I'm full of quotes today. The guy said at the beginning, it said, "Tell me what you eat, and I'll tell you what you are." There you go. So 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 what are you? Hey, Dad, a big old bowl of mac and cheese. Man, I, you know what that you know what mac and cheese is? It's warm and it's comforting. That's what I am. There you go. Everybody Maybe. seems to like it. Exactly. Who doesn't like mac and cheese? Other than the Josh? intolerant, and I have no, to- no time for them anyway. Yeah, Josh and Clinton says he'd do a crawfish boil. 
That's a fantastic idea. Oh, yeah. And I don't have time for the crawfish isn't good enough to justify the time it takes to peel stuff. Then you're not getting it from the right people. That's right. I would just get Aaron Franklin from Franklin's Barbecue to make a trip to Augusta, Georgia. Let's get as much brisket, ribs, and sausage as we can throw in on the smoker. Hmm. Ceasefire text line, somebody feed Richard so he can change the subject. And then Scotty and Pontoc says, I bet my son-in-law, Charlie, that works at the Ole Miss Golf Course, is loving today's show. Me, not so much. What do we spend about four days out of the year, maybe seven days out of the year talking golf? I'm not even a golf fan, but this is exciting stuff. It's the Masters. It's the Masters. Yeah, we'll do. How can you not be excited for the Masters? I tend to agree with you. It's, Borky, it's, what, what are the best pairings, Borky? Well, it depends on how you look at it. We have, starting on Thursday, a back-to-back starting at 11 o'clock. So I guess 10 o'clock Central. Back-to-back pairings, Tiger Woods, Tong Lee, and John Rahm. John Rahm hits the ball a long way, but he's got a bad attitude. Before Three languages language. represented there. Yeah. And then <laughs> right after that, McElroy and Fowler in the next group. And then Cameron Smith is the third. Cameron Smith, a bit of an afterthought for you. Yeah, a little bit. I have a feeling the featured groups aren't really going to show him that often. And then to close on Thursday, so the last three groups Man, off are DJ, good. Dustin Johnson, the guy who doesn't think, Bryson DeChambeau, the guy who overthinks, and Jason Day, the guy that thinks he's always hurt. <laughs> well, I think it happened in there. Uh, the, the group after that, Mickelson, Justin Rose, and Justin Thomas, and then the final group off, Jordan Spieth, Paul Casey, and Brooks Kepka. That is money right there. It's a great way to finish the day. Strong. And, Very strong. And you will notice, I think with the way these are split, so you, you'll flip. Right, the, the first group to go off on... Thursday will be the last group to go off on Friday, right? Yes, yeah, so we'll get DJ Mickelson, DeChambeau, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth all in the morning on Friday. Will they be the last morning group or the first morning group? They haven't group? announced that. So it would probably be better if Rippy was here. I don't think they just directly flip it, do they? Because yeah. they haven't shown the tee times for Friday yet, which if that was the case, wouldn't they just post that as well? Yeah, my, my guess is that you'll get the, those threesomes of, of DJ, DeChambeau, and Day, and then Mickelson, Rose, and Thomas, and Spieth, Casey, and Brooks Kepka as like the last group out of the morning session. And then the Tiger Woods, Rory McElroy groups will be probably the last groups of the afternoon. That's great. It, they say that's, that it's random. This isn't random. No, it's not random. Absolutely not. And it doesn't need to be random. You want to be in one of those featured groups? Go be good. Yes, sir. So, so you guys, we, we talked about our predictions for this. Who, you said about this last week, Richard, about how Sandy Lyle gives you that Thursday where you think maybe he's going to hang around. Who's the veteran who's going to have the big first round? Fred Couples. That's not a surprise, though. He's still, he's still got some game. But he's got to wear a back brace while he has Yeah, it. he's like 54, though. I'm or 52 saying. or no uh, no I mean Freddie's not going to win it he, he, he doesn't oh, no, 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 he can't no. win not, it not at this win, point but just ha- have everybody enthralled with their first round still has great crowds he knows that golf course well he's loved by virtually everyone except maybe his ex-wife I, she probably <laughs> even loves him on the golf course um I, 
I just, you know, he, he always seems to play well there the first couple of days. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know beyond that. I don't see Sandy Lyle playing this year. Have they taken him out of competition? No, he's on there. Is he? Yeah, eleven twenty-six. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. All right, so from a healthy dose of uh, golf conversation to uh, a little college baseball, which uh, may be right up the alley for some of you folks that were a little weary of the golf talk. Sports Talk Mississippi, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Rippy will join us a little bit later. Right now, though, on the Farm Bureau phone line, it's Teddy Cahill from Baseball America. Ted, you're going to have to start paying uh, property taxes in Mississippi. That's two weekends in a row in the Magnolia State, right? Yeah, I believe I am now officially a Mississippi resident after spending the bulk of two weeks there. Yeah, yeah. Where's home for you? Uh, our offices are in Durham, North Carolina, so that's, uh, that's where I'm based out of. I got you. Fair enough. What did you think last weekend in, uh, in Oxford? A, a pretty important weekend for Ole Miss, and I guess really the last two weekends have been big for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you when you look at what Ole Miss has put together, winning a series at Arkansas and then coming home, and I don't want to say validating that with the sweep of Florida, but capitalizing on that momentum uh, with the sweep of Florida, I guess is a, a, a better way to put it. They now are sitting in a three-way tie for first place in the SEC West, and really over the last four SEC games, especially when they've scored 50 runs, you know, you've seen what this offense can do, and I know we've seen it at times throughout the the season but really over the last two weeks i feel like the offense has, has found another gear and if they're going to keep swinging the bats like this i mean that they're dangerous to pretty much every team uh in the conference and and you know it, it makes for a, a very interesting team when you have a lineup that runs as deep as theirs does do you think the offense is sustainable did, did it just kind of take a while for them to hit their stride and, and this is who they're going to be or does it come back to earth a little bit well, I don't think they're going to score 15 runs uh, every four games in the SEC. But okay, that's fair. I do, I do think that this is something that they can do uh, in general to have, you know, the at least the top, you know, six guys in that lineup, seven guys throwing Cooper Johnson. Like, I, I think that those guys all are really solid players, and maybe they don't all click at the same time the way they have been. But I think that. Uh, you know, at, at the midway point of the season, they, they all should be about, you know, they should be at a, a spot where they, they can sustain this. And, um, you know, I, I think that when you look at that lineup, there aren't, there, there's not a lot of can't do. There's some speed at the top. Uh, the middle of the order does a great job at pr- producing runs, and the bottom of the order does a pretty good job at turning it over, um, you know, for the top of the lineup. So I, I think that. You know, yes, I, I think ultimately this is what we expected Ole Miss to be able to do offensively, and they're in a, a good, they've done a good job of, of finding their form at the midway point of the season. All right, I'm going to put you in umpire regalia. You, you are the home plate umpire. If a hitter, after you miss a call, draws a line in the opposing batting box to show where he thinks the pitch was, what are you doing? You sending him to the house? Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's a, a tough one there. You know, I I'm not an umpire. I've never umpired. I I don't <laughs> fully understand the the struggle that is umpiring. But that was that was a strange call there on Saturday. I felt like, and you know, we'll uh, I, I just have to have to. It is what it is, I guess. And you know, this, yeah. this is this is baseball. This is part of it. 
You know, everybody says you can't do that, but that's kind of a power move argument tool. You don't really say anything. You just kind of draw a line to where the ball was, or at least where you think it was. Yeah, and you know, I haven't gone back to watch the video, and maybe this is wrong, but some people said that it looked like he'd already been ejected by the time that it happened. Um, you know, and I have no idea whether that's the no, case that's not, not true. It, it, okay, I mean, it, to to not even turn around, then you know, I, it, you should not be out there pointing like that. That is clear, <laughs> but to not give a warning at all to just immediately go to the ejection that was um, that was a little yeah. surprising. And I know that up in the press box. Some people thought that it hadn't, the ejection hadn't even happened, that it happened so quickly that it was. they thought when Mike Clement was coming to get him uh, away from the plate that they thought Clem was trying to save him from being ejected, not to save him a potential suspension on top of the ejection. Yeah. Hey, one more thing about Ole Miss. You saw Doug Nikhazy pitch. Uh, among the freshmen in the SEC, he's not one that has been the most talked about is he developing, though, into a spot where people kind of around the SEC are going to start talking about the job that he's doing on the mound? Yeah, I mean, since he moved into the rotation, he's been really solid. And I think that he doesn't get talked about as much because, you know, I mean, even on that own staff, Gunnar Hogland, of course, came in with much more uh, hype as an unsigned supplemental first-rounder. And Casey doesn't really have that kind of track record. Uh, so I think that was why he was sliding a little under the radar for a while, but you know, I mean, you do what you do, do what he did against Florida and Arkansas the last two weeks. Uh, you throw Missouri into that too. Um, you know, I, I think that, yeah, he is going to be starting to, to garner a lot more attention uh, as we start talking about some of the, the high end freshman arms in the SEC. He's out there performing at a high level. Hey, Teddy, it's Brian. Hey, Dad, you say you're a native Mississippian now. That means you have to weigh in on State and Ole Miss and the rivalry. You've seen both of those two teams. <laughs> Uh, in the past couple of weeks. What do you like about them, and what's something you, you don't like about them? Well, I think that they both have really good offenses. You know, we, I mentioned how, how deep I feel like Ole Miss is. I feel like Mississippi State is uh, at, a, at a pretty similar spot. And I think that they're also in a similar spot in terms of what I don't really like about them. Uh, I, you know, I think that Mississippi State's 1-2 in terms of rotation is better than Ole Miss's 1-2. Uh, but I think both of them are a little light in terms of who is the Sunday starter. Uh, and also in the bullpen, they have some, they both have some really good pieces. Parker, Parker Caracy at the back end, Cole Gordon at the back end for, for these two teams. Great, um, you know, experienced arms to have coming out of the bullpen. But getting the ball to them, uh, you know, especially in the later part of the weekend when maybe you've used your top arm, uh, your top bridge arm, I think that's a bit of an issue. And, you know, we'll see if they can, both of these teams can develop a third starter and develop a little more depth in the bullpen, which would really serve them both well uh, down the stretch and into the postseason. Teddy Cahill on your radio, Baseball America covers the game, especially uh, across the Southeast. So the series that we need to be watching this weekend, obviously, Mississippi State fans locked in on, on Bulldogs and Alabama. Ole Miss fans locked in on the Rebels against Kentucky. Neither of those series, though, really grab headlines the way uh, a couple of others do. What, what are you locked in on this weekend? Well, I mean, I guess in the SEC, you've got to look at uh, what Vanderbilt's doing with Arkansas. Um, you know, that's, a, that's an important series uh, in terms of crossover. And, and you know, the, the way the crossover is working this year, it may well decide the SEC West. Um, you know, so it's important for uh, for Arkansas 
to uh, you know go up there and and, and play a, a good series, um, you know, against a, a really tough opponent. So I think in the SEC, that's kind of the marquee series. Uh, if you're looking a little more widely, uh, East Carolina goes to UCLA in uh, you know fun cross country, totally random series. And Oregon State plays Arizona State, and that should be just a fascinating contrast of styles. Uh, if you want to check that one out, Oregon State, one of the best pitching staffs in the country, and Arizona State, uh, one of the best offenses. With, with that Arkansas-Vanderbilt series, I mean, it felt like it was pretty big for, for Arkansas to go and, and win the, the back end of the series against Auburn. Vanderbilt obviously losing the series in Athens. Is this a make-or-break weekend for either of those teams with regard to kind of hosting national seed possibilities, or, or is it too early to have a make-or-break weekend? I think it might be a little too early, and part of the reason it's a little too early for both of them is that they're both in the top five in RPI right now. Um, and especially from Vanderbilt's perspective, they should be able to pile SEC wins later in the season uh, as they get into the uh, some of the SEC East play. They've already um, they're already done with Georgia, and obviously that series didn't go as well as they would have liked. They're done with Florida, that did, uh, but that means that what they have left in the East is kind of the, the lesser teams of the East. So Vanderbilt can make hay in that, and then in Arkansas's case, uh, you know it's tough to say you know any series. Given, given the strength of the West, you have time to make up for these things, uh, and they're, they're sitting in first place right now. So I don't want to say that this is a, a make-or-break for Arkansas uh, either, but it, it's a key series, of, and it's a big opportunity for both of them to, you know, the, the series winner here is going to get a nice feather in their cap as you start looking at uh, top eight national seeds. Yeah, last thing for you, Teddy. We've only got about a minute left. After seeing Florida this weekend, I don't know if that was the first time you've seen them or not, um, I talked to some people who goes, it's just not a very good team. That could be a team that is in danger of not making the postseason. Uh, all the metrics are pretty good. How how okay is Florida going to be, or how bad are they? You know, I think that Florida, obviously it's not the Florida that we're used to having. Um, right. I think that they're in a reasonably okay spot, but the margin for error is pretty minimal. Last year, the selection committee made a huge deal uh, out of having at least a 500 conference record and for the Gators to win 10 more SEC games and then mm-hmm. presumably win on Tuesday in the conference tournament there's an easy easily you can see a path to that but if they start dropping games that they shouldn't be uh, you know that that's when it starts becoming much more dangerous they really the way their schedule sets up they need to make sure they take care of business at home and then try and find a, a few wins on the road and they'll be okay but it's but it, given how many freshmen they have, that it, it is a bit of a risky proposition just to say, well, they're 4-8, I, I think they'll yeah. be okay. It, it's Thanks, a, it's Teddy. A spot they put themselves in. Just after 5 o'clock with you, Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along for the ride. Coming to you from the Renaissance Bank studio, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey will join us. In a little while, we'll talk some baseball with him as Ole Miss and Southern Miss will meet tonight in Pearl at Trustmark Park. Six o'clock. Is it six o'clock or six thirty, Borky? Six, isn't it? It's a six o'clock first pitch. Yeah, six o'clock first pitch there in the uh, Jackson Metro area. Beautiful night. I would imagine uh, you have a pretty good crowd for that, uh, given the fact that it's what, like 80 degrees and sunny? 
Yeah, it's a beautiful day do, down here. Yeah. Sun's still out. It's a little wet, but I imagine that the ground screw there took care of that early this morning. Yeah, and I mean, the seats are dry. Which is what matters most. Yeah. Do you see, speaking uh, of that, um, there's a new like mesh seating technology out there? Because we were talking about last week how to improve and get people to stay and go to football games since attendance is down across the board. It's this new mesh permanent seating uh, that a AAA baseball team is debuting this year, first of its kind in, in major American sports, that is like 40% cooler. It's breathable material that is weatherproof, and it won't get damaged that they're installing in this stadium now in AAA baseball. Hmm. Maybe it's the wave of the future. Hopefully so. So kind of like an office chair that's got holes in it? Basically, yeah. And for somebody that sweats like I do when it's 60 degrees or warmer, that would be... And be welcome. It's just like plastic with holes in it, though, right? Oh, it's What's it's um it's like a net. It's like a, a a sturdier net almost. It's a mesh kind of material. So it's not a plastic seat. It's like a oh gosh, like an elastic type band looking thing. Yeah, I see what you're talking about. How about that? You can Google it and uh, see some stadium chairs like that. We'll see. Maybe that's the uh, the wave of the future. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com. They've been financing and refinancing land and all the products that are related to land for over 100 years. If you're in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs, give them a call. You can find the number online at mslandbank.com. You can also find the branch locations in North Mississippi Stop by and see the Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. So uh, Richard says a butt net? <laughs> Basically. And then John says Millennium Deer Stands have that type of seat, and they're the most comfortable. They put those, uh, maybe they'll put those in the north end zone in Oxford. It would help. Millennium. That's the. Uh, they also have great hats. Like when we do the uh, the remote at Divinity in August, right before football season. They uh, they've given me a Millennium tree stand hat the last couple of years that I have absolutely worn to death. So anyway, complete non sequitur there. Let's get to the college football fix. College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Got a spring sales event going on, which means great deals on the cars, trucks, and SUVs that Ford has to offer. You can check them all out online at buyfordnow.com, but don't stop there. Go by and visit your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. I told you I've got an F-150. I've had several of them through the years. It's the truck that I choose, not because Ford gives one to me or pays me to say that. It's just the best truck that I've found out there. Uh, if you test drive one today, you might think exactly the same thing. Oklahoma and Alabama independently confirmed that they will be playing each other. Future home-and-home -home football series. Crimson Tide will go to Norman in September of 2032. And then the Sooners will go to uh, Tuscaloosa the following year. 2032 and 2033. My non-existent children will be recruits by then. 
Yeah, you pointed out, you said we're now scheduling home and homes for when Richard's kids are in college. <laughs> Maybe they'll be able to watch this one in the student section. Uh, not not quite right visiting uh let's see we're in 2019 so 2033 in tuscaloosa 14 years from now ava montgomery i guess will have graduated from college by then wow obi will still be in school francis will be like uh, freshman age ish so no she won't she'll only be 16 it's good that these matchups are happening, but what's the point of scheduling this far in advance? Well, I, I think the point in scheduling this far out is people are doing it, and so if you want marquee matchups, you better do it also. Oh, the demand thing. Well, yeah, but I, I mean, if if Alabama has got non-conference games on their schedule through 2030, well, and, and Oklahoma's got stuff scheduled through 2031. Well, when's the first time you can do it? Well, we can do this in 2031 and 2032, or 32 and 33. I don't know how far out you go. I feel like for, for the last 15 years, there has been on the future schedule template Ole Miss and Georgia Tech, like a home and home. That's kind of a boring matchup to me, although maybe it changes now that Georgia Tech's not going to be a triple option team anymore but it's like that game has gotten pushed back and pushed back and pushed back and pushed back i do feel like though borky the announcements that are coming are for home and homes which i love and i mean how much fun did we have talking about georgia notre dame you know how much fun did we have talking about clemson texas a&m those have been scheduled for a really long time it takes a while to get there you remember how much fun, if you go back to uh, when Terrell Pryor was the quarterback at Ohio State, Texas, Ohio State was? Oh, yeah, that was huge. Watching the home-and-home? Home. I love those matchups. I can't help but wonder what we're going to watch them on. Because think about how much that technology, television technology, has evolved, let's just say, in the last five years. So we're talking 14 years now. What do you think we watch it on when that game comes on, whatever we call it at that point? Nicer TVs than we have now. I'm not really sure how the technology continues to get better, but, I mean, think about going from non-HD. It's bigger and clearer and cheaper is what it is. Yeah, but how does it get much clearer? We put on virtual reality helmets and... Yeah, people aren't going to do that, though. Are they? Are, it, you, are you really going to sit down on your couch and put some goggles or a helmet on that makes it feel like you're there? I, yeah. <laughs> you will? <laughs> yeah, I will. If I can put a helmet on and get the in-game experience from my couch, then yeah, I'll put it on. Here's the here's the comparison that I would give you. The game that we all love to talk about so much, the 2006 Rose Bowl. 2006, Texas-Southern Cal. One of the greatest football games I've ever seen. That game was broadcast in standard definition. Doesn't feel like it was that long ago. 13 years ago now, that game was not in HD. And then HD comes along and it's good. 
but it's like 480p, and then you go to 720, and then you go to 1080, and now you've got 4K televisions, and the picture just gets better and better and better. It seems like there's a point where I don't know that the picture can get any clearer, that the colors can be any more vibrant, that we can have any more dots per inch. Maybe we can, though, because I don't think technology is going to stop. We're not going to stop evolving. We put a lot of effort into that and not a lot of effort into stopping people from getting seasonal allergies. I wish we would allocate our funds a little bit, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's Maybe a really... I mean, think about this. It's a great point. Players will have many cameras on their helmets, so you can watch from a player's perspective. I bet... I, I'm talking within five years, especially in like one of these secondary leagues that's more willing... You'll be able to pull up a website and shuffle through what player you want to watch from their perspective. Maybe so. Let's see that. And you've already got the opportunity, if you want to watch on your phone or on a computer or you know streaming to your TV, different camera angles. You know, you can watch nothing but the sky cam, or you can watch the the stadium without a you know the announcers, just where you get the live feed. You can watch a stat broadcast, so maybe it's more options there. I just feel like you're still going to be able to take your remote and press power and flip to ESPN and still watch a football game. They're just going to be really good football games. At this point, we'll have quarterbacks that are seven feet tall and offensive linemen <laughs> that are pushing eight. Well, I, I, I think more than the television viewing experience evolving, it will the in-stadium experience is going to continue to evolve. And my guess is that the in-stadium experience a decade from now is going to be one that we don't recognize right now. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, glad to have you along. A little while longer this afternoon. you got baseball coming up at 6 o'clock tonight with Ole Miss and Southern Miss playing in Pearl. Mississippi State midweek baseball action tomorrow night. Brian Haydad has already scooted off to cover Mississippi State football practice as well. UCLA finally has a basketball coach. It's Mick Cronin leaving Cincinnati. I'm kind of curious how much bargaining power Mick Cronin had. Right, so they offered John Calipari $8 million a year, and he said no thanks. And then they offered Rick Barnes $5 million a year, and he ultimately said no thanks. John Calipari got a lifetime contract, air quotes, out of Kentucky. Not really a raise, but just an extension. And then he gets to be an ambassador whenever he decides to not coach anymore for Kentucky. Rick Barnes reportedly is being bumped to like $4.7 million at Tennessee. Good for him. Mick Cronin gets $4 million a year. Did Mick Cronin not have the ability to say, um, hold on, hold on a second. Yes, I want the job, and I'm willing to take the job. But you don't get a discount on me. So I can tell you no, just like everybody else has told you no, or you can pay me what you were willing to pay Rick Barnes. You, you don't get a discount just because I'm a slightly less popular name than Rick Barnes is. 
Because I can tell you no publicly, and the humiliation can continue. Why is he only getting a six-year, $24 million deal? Is that a crazy question, Borky? No, not at all. I mean, the, the entire search was an embarrassment. My question is, if you're UCLA, and I guess at this point they just had, had to hire somebody. But oh, they, Mick Cronin's a good basketball coach. And he is a good basketball coach, but they fired a guy that went to three Sweet 16s in his first four years and hired a guy that went to one Sweet 16 in over a decade. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's apples to oranges. Cincinnati is very different to UCLA, but is UCLA a premier college basketball job anymore? Well, it can be. It's not today, but it can be. Or, or at least that's my thought. Because it's still in Los Angeles, and it is yeah. still UCLA, and it's a place where the right guy ought to be able to recruit. I mean, UCLA didn't believe that Ben Howland was the right guy. I mean, that's why they fired him, even though he'd been to three Final Fours. But Ben Howland proved that you can recruit to UCLA. Mick Cronin is a tireless worker. He is a grinder, and he is hard-nosed. I actually think that if he can get guys to buy into what he's trying to do, if Mick Cronin can get players at UCLA that will play as hard as the players he got at Cincinnati, but it's just a better player, then you could see UCLA on the uptake pretty quickly. Does that make sense? It does. Like, 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 like the, the caliber of player that Cronin was able to get, and he had good players at, at Cincinnati. But, man, they played hard defensively. And it was a pretty complex style. It wasn't where they just played one style of defense. So if, if he can get guys to take on his personality and play the way he coaches, which is extremely hard-nosed, and it's not for everybody. I mean, it does, UCLA feels a little bit more pretty boy than hard-nosed. But if he can get guys to play with a red rear, then I think they can get pretty good pretty quickly. I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bad hire at all. It's just an embarrassing process where you swing and miss, swing and miss, swing and miss, swing and miss. For, for all the flack that Dan Guerrero is getting, I mean, if Mick Cronin had been UCLA's first choice and they had gone out and hired him and gotten the deal done and presented it, wouldn't people be looking at this search differently than being told no? Yeah, I guess the only hang-up would be it played out publicly, but if you're going to go after those kind of big names, it's going to leak out at some point. So that's a really good point. A lot of people are making it out to be an embarrassing coaching search, but as a fan, I can't imagine there's a UCLA fan listening, but there's been coaching searches here. As a fan, wouldn't it make you feel better to know that your administration is trying to get the guy, the reigning Coach of the year, the guy that brought Tennessee to a two seed this year, wouldn't you want your athletic department to try to get that person? So when they fail, why is it embarrassing? I mean, I guess other than being told no, but it's like asking a girl out, right? I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen to you? She says no, and you're still in the exact same position you're in right now. Yeah. How much differently would we be looking at UCLA right now if John Calipari had said yes? <laughs> Especially for a guy that would have 
Well, he wouldn't have taken a pay cut. It'd have been Barnes, but no, Cal Perry would have. Cal Perry would have taken a pay cut, significant. Oh yeah, because they offered him less. Well, one, they were offering less money, and two, the the tax situation. How much of that is a detriment? Man, I, not. I know that's probably a dumb question, but if you're a school in California and you're wanting to compete at a high level in athletics, doesn't it doesn't it make it harder for you when one, your state itself taxes like crazy and then it's more expensive to live there i wonder if that turns people off some i'm sure it does some absolutely it does some but we're not going to cry for a guy that's going to clear two oh, million no. a year either but if you're a guy that's making two million a year and you can decide between california and texas where are you going to go well no no but my point is he's making four million a year so he's going to after taxes make two million a year and get yeah. to live in los angeles so he'll get a nice studio apartment yeah, I'm going to say he can probably afford to buy a little bit more than that. A little bit. When we, when uh, Katie and I were in San Francisco, I just pulled up the the Trulia, the real estate app, just to see. The cheapest available house in our area was $500,000, and on the listing it said, perfect for a teardown and rebuild. <laughs> so it was My a property. Wife's, yeah, J- Jane's best friend lives in San Francisco. She and her boyfriend have been looking for a house. They currently have a condo. Good building, but it's not huge. I mean, it's a, you know, probably a, I don't know, 900 foot, 900 square foot, 1,000 square foot deal. You know, probably paid 600000 give or take for it. It's probably worth about a million dollars right now. They want to buy a house. They cannot find a house they can't find one that is nice and a good investment and in an area they want it to be in that is not a two or three or four million dollar house whereas you know pick your market in mississippi I mean, there's always the outlier. There's always the crazy expensive house where, you know, somebody's got a bunch of acreage and an 8,000 square foot house or something, and it's like ridiculously priced. But I mean, you know, pick, pick your market. Nicest neighborhood in Ocean Springs. Nicest neighborhood in Hattiesburg. And I'm not talking about the house that Papelbon's building down there. Nicest house in Madison or in Northeast Jackson or on the reservoir. Nicest house in Oxford. Nicest house in Corinth. Nicest house in DeSoto County. Two and a half million, three million dollars, pretty much buy all of them. Takes you a long way around here. I mean, we're still in the home searching process. And for our budget, and our budget is not big, the house that we're going to get compared to what, say, a very good friend of mine got in Nashville for basically an identical price is unbelievable, the difference. Yeah. And Nashville's not, I mean, it's an expensive place to live compared to what we're used to around here, but compared to what we're talking about in Los Angeles with these basketball coaches, it's not even close. Sure. You're going to have to spend more. But hey, it's always 70 and sunny, right? Yeah, but the people seem miserable. Oh, maybe some do. I don't know that all of them do. How could you be miserable when every day you walk outside and it's 70 and sunny? 
They find ways. Yeah, well, they're miserable people around here as well. Yeah. So uh, I guess congratulations to uh, Mick Cronin, new head coach at uh, at UCLA. And how about Tennessee? You, we didn't even really talk about this at length, keeping Rick Barnes. That's a big deal for Tennessee. You know, we kind of alluded to it yesterday. To me, the most important thing there, and Tennessee also hired a women's basketball coach. Um, the Kelly Kelly Jolly, I'm not sure what her married name is, played there, played for Pat Summit, most recently coached at uh, Missouri State. But the thing for me with Tennessee is Phil Fulmer managed to get a deal done that maintains stability in that department. And it may be the most unstable athletics department in the SEC for the last decade. And it's not a place where it should be unstable. But it feels like they're going to be able to maintain continuity for a little while at Tennessee. So that was a big deal for uh, Phil Fulmer to get that deal done. Sports Talk Mississippi. Rippy joins us next. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.